You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hamtramck Now and Then, the podcast of the Hamtramck Historical Museum, uh, which we do in uh, cooperation with Podcast Detroit. Uh, I'm Greg Kowalski, the executive director of the Hamtramck Historical Museum, and I'm here with Joe Koshut. Joe? Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? Joe is the chairman of the board of the Friends of Historical Hamtramck, the organization that owns and operates the Hamtramck Historical Museum. Um, today, we're going to do part two of uh, the series we've been working on, on how did we get here. This is a, a look at how Hamtramck came to be the town that it is today. It's an incredibly uh, complicated, fascinating story that turns in many, many directions. And what we're going to do today is look at a critical formative period uh, of between 1900 and 1910. Uh, in our first installment, we kind of looked at uh, who, you know, how Hamtramck got its name, being named after Colonel John Francis Hamtramck, and the villa, the uh, township days when the, you know, we went out to the Detroit River, very much remote from what Hamtramck is today. Uh, but it is part of our heritage. Now we're going to you know, physically and uh, uh, just kind of zero in on what Hamtramck is closer to today, how we came closer to be what we are in this period. And just to settle the stage a little bit, we're talking about 1900 to begin with, which is an, uh, at a time when the just before the village of Hamtramck was formed, and there was a community here. It was part of Hamtramck Township, but it was developing its own personality. It was a group of stores, saloons, uh, and houses and farms that were clustered mainly along the railroad tracks over at the south end of where, uh, of Ham, where Ham, of Hamtramck uh, is today, over by the Michigan Central Railroad tracks and uh, the uh, the other set of railroad tracks. I forgot who which railroad <laughs> Grand Trunk. <laughs> Those two railroads. So just they, just the railroad tracks, not to interrupt, but just okay, the railroad that's, tracks. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I think anyone that knows Hamtramck knows the yeah. railroad tracks. When I start straying, Joe, steer me back on course, okay? Uh, we'll do. We'll do. Because <laughs> I will go off in tangents, so right down those tracks. Okay. So uh, so we had these group of houses and businesses clustered over there, and then the a couple businesses open in that period too, the Acme White Lead Paint Company, uh, which was there for many years, and uh, Russell uh, uh, Auto Works or whatever it was, and, a, a, uh, no, and there was another factory there as well too, uh, the Acme Radiator Company. Was over there as well too. Now, now, Greg, not to again, not sure. to interrupt, but that is that those were the were they a part of the same like. I guess parent company Acme Lead Paint and Acme Radiator, or were they were they oh, two sorry. separate entities? They were separate entities. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, th- so we had these different businesses opening up over there as well too, and uh, I think I may be mistaken. The Radiator Company was not Acme. I have to check on that. Okay. But it, it, regardless, there were a couple of industries starting over there too. And this is when the town began to develop its own personality, and they began to see themselves as a little bit different from Hamtramck Township, and certainly not a part of Detroit. And uh, at this period, too, and for years prior to this, 
we saw the city of Detroit growing and annexing portions of Hamtramck Township bit by bit by bit and moving in the direction uh, of um, where we are today. And the folks who are living here didn't like that. They didn't feel that they were Detroiters. They felt that they had their own community here. So they got together, and this is a time when there were several hundred people living in this area. The figures actually vary for that period, but there were several hundred people living in the area. And they had a call together, a special community meeting that was held over at Holbrook School, which incidentally is still functioning as a school today which is really remarkable when you think about it, that you can go in the room where they met after a hundred more than 120 years and, and kind of get a sense of what uh, of these people were here. And they devote, decided to uh, create the village of Hamtramck. And that's actually a legal process that um, it, it's... You know, you have to, it's done by the state basically, but you have to have a, an election here, a vote of the people here, and determine if you want to create the village and present it to the state legislature, which gives approval for that to happen, which the state legislature did. And in 1901, the village of Hamtramck was officially created. The village, we don't know, and this is one of the mysteries of Hamtramck too, uh, exactly how the borderlines of Hamtramck were determined. The, the original village borderlines were not quite the same as the city border that we know today. The original borderlines um, stretched a little bit farther west of the railroad tracks on the west side of the town and a little short on the east side of town. Um, but they did incorporate that as the village, and they had their first election in August uh, of 19... 19- Hundred or nineteen. Oh, I'm sorry, nineteen oh one. August twenty six was the original election, and um, they had their first uh, village council meeting in August twenty ninth, nineteen oh one, and Anson Harris was elected as village president. I mean, it's a name that's not familiar anymore, and not not in the many many years. No, I've never heard it. <laughs> yeah, but he was the original village president, and uh, they elected a village council. And, uh, started on the path of developing as a village. At that point, they had no real idea of what the future held. But let's take a little bit of look at what they had around them. They, we were, as I said, basically that cluster of buildings at the side of town clustered uh, around the railroad tracks. Joseph Campo was the main street. It was unpaved. Um, there were no sidewalks at that time. Uh, none at all. And uh, there was a big creek that ran down Holbrook, uh, which later became Holbrook Avenue. And they, that was a pretty large one. It was at the bottom of a ravine, about 20 feet deep from what we know. And in the winter, people would fish. I mean, in the summer, people would fish there. In the winter, they would ice skate there. And yeah, yeah. So I, um, I don't want to stray too yeah. far off topic, yeah. but um, with, the, with Holbrook Creek, um, there are actually still stories around town from what we've heard anyway, that if you're in a, in certain basements on Holbrook, that you could still hear the creek running. That, that we've heard that story. We've never been able to verify it. We they don't know, frankly, if it's true or not. Uh, that's one of the things we'd like to investigate further and see. And if, if any of our listeners knows, yeah. please contact us. We'd love to be able to actually hear that. And, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. It'd yeah, be awesome. <laughs> that would truly. 
Uh, and we know that there was a bridge over uh, Holbrook and Conant Avenue at that time, too. And uh, north of Holbrook, there were a few sparse buildings, and there was a, a, a horse farm at the north end of town and farms around us. So it was pretty, pretty rural, very, very countrified. Uh, and a quiet community, no, obviously no street lights, no, nothing, no, no real police department or anything like that or police force. It was all township oriented at that point. So, but well, you know, once they got to get, they got the village formed, the uh, new village officers started the process of building a community and establishing, um, uh, uh, really the, all the infrastructure that you need to have a growing community. And it's, it's interesting to read the village council minutes from that period as they go forward too, uh, of how they become, you know, initially very, very simple. You know, we're just going to uh, look at things. That one of the first things that they authorized was to have maps drawn up at the new village and things like that. It's unclear as to where they actually met, but apparently there was a, a building on Joseph Campo uh, uh, where, you know, uh, where the eventually the village hall was built over on Grayling Street. But they also at one point were operated out of a house on Joseph Campo as well too because they pay, we know the records show that they paid $8 a month in rent for this house <laughs> to use it for the council. So... Uh, but the the issues became more complex as time went by because they started looking at getting a water system extended into the village from the city of Detroit, which was a major, major project. Now, is, uh, the water system, we have actually uh, wooden log water pipes here right. at the museum. Would that have been what they yes. would use? Yeah, that would have been what they originally went in at that point, okay. too. Uh, uh, prior to that, there were wells. In fact, they addressed the council, the city, uh, the village council ad- addressed the issue of open wells that had to be covered, uh, as, as time went by. But they, they started, uh, getting bids for bond, and they needed to take out a bond to pay for the project. And it was a very major project to do that. And that occupied a lot of their time for several years. That as well as getting, um, uh, electricity into uh, into town. Originally, they had uh, gas lamps for the council chambers, and they had to work out getting the elect- electrical system extended into Hamtramck at least more thoroughly. And they um, um, also looked at sidewalks. That was a very big big issue for them because there were no originally no sidewalks, and they did start putting in a combination of. Uh, cement and wooden sidewalks. And they were very specific in what they wanted in terms of what kind of you, you, what you could use for a wooden sidewalk, what the dimensions would be, what kind of supports they would have, you know, the, uh, how far the supports could be placed apart. It was really pretty amazing that yeah. they got that involved in wooden sidewalks. Yeah, what, what you're describing actually kind of, it, 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 it almost reminds me of like a movie, something you would see like in the old West with the, mm-hmm. you know, the little farming towns or yes. little mining towns that have, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a dirt road, main mm-hmm. road and the, uh, the wooden plank yep. uh, sidewalks, right, where stores and banks and, you know, saloons mm-hmm. and stuff would be. That's kind of what I'm envisioning at this yes, point. So very much. I mean, knowing Hamtramck now and then thinking of what it was then, mm-hmm. it's like 
it's almost mind blowing. I mean, it's been a long time, so obviously yeah. things are gonna change. <laughs> but it's just it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see Hamtramck in that light. It's it was a different world. I mean, in Hamtramck, if you actually went back to that time and even later into the 1920s, if you stood there on Joseph Campo and looked around you, you would have you recognized nothing. Yeah. Nothing that we know today. Right. I mean, there was a, it's just amazing the transformation that really occurred. And we'll get into that a little, little bit later as the, the remarkable transformation that occurred. Right. Uh, at this point in the uh, early 1900s, nobody had any idea of what was on the horizon. They never you know, expected what would happen right. uh, to come along. So, um, so they went forward with their, you know, step by step, becoming more of an advanced town. And if you look at the uh, invoices for the bills that they would pay month by month, uh, they would get larger just about every month because they were getting more and more services, looking at more and more things. Right. They um, brought in a police officer and uh, who actually worked ten hours a day. Looks like six days a week. It was, oh, wow. Yeah, and, but he had a, uh, even worse, he had a split shift. It was like, uh, 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. and then 4 till whatever. So basically a lunchtime. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but they, they paid him like $45 a month. Mm-hmm. So we were talking big money. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot of money at that time. So, uh, so you know, it, it was growing. Um, and uh, it, it was just becoming more of a developed town as they started doing these things. A lot of uh, technical issues they had to deal with, with the uh, terms of financing these things, getting the bonds done, getting loans from the Detroit banks. And uh, they had to deal with other issues, too, that are very interesting, too, uh, including smallpox, which broke out at one point, and how they had to... Uh, they hired uh, a, a health department officer for this uh, village, and they wanted to make sure that they could stem that kind of like you know we think pandemics are are something of today and not at all even back then they were had to deal with that kind of situation uh-huh. they also had poverty of people that they had to provide the village had to provide assistance for right so they had to address those kind of things as right. well too so uh but uh, things started to change again uh, uh in 1907. Uh, when a major event occurred, and that was the establishment of St. Florian Church in Hamtramck. There, um, uh, uh, well, in 1907, the archdiocese was looking at all oh, the old Pole Town neighborhood just south of Hamtramck, about a mile, mile and a half south. And looking at the neighborhood there and the community, they could see that it was growing, uh, growing north. Mm-hmm. Towards the suburbs, as we were called back then. <laughs> uh, and the was considered a suburb. And the Archdiocese figured they were going to move in that, into more into Hamtramck. And so in 1898, they had established St. Stanislaus Parish. Uh, and, uh, they could see that there was still going to be a bigger demand. So they came to Hamtramck <laughs> and asked the local residents if you would like a Polish Catholic church here. And, Interestingly, they said, yes, we would have liked to have that, even though there was not a great number of Poles at that time. Right. So in 1908, the St. Florian was established, and uh, the originally masses were held on a storefront on Joseph Campo, and... Um, you know, um, shortly thereafter, in 1909, 
uh, a section of land was donated to the new parish, and it was located uh, where, of course, the church is today. And in that year, the um, the, uh, uh, the building was built to house a church and school combination. That was very common in those days, where you would have one floor as a church, and one floor served as a school. You almost always had a school with the church. Right, but that's that's uh, the school church combination where it is actually where the school is. Right. Though, right. Okay. That's where the building that became Hamtramck School is. But at the originally it was established as the church. There was a steeple on the building actually mm-hmm. at, in those days, and it was uh, uh, it was modified in the years to come. Uh, but in 1914. The parish had grown enough. It started to grow pretty quickly, and not not greatly at first, but enough. Uh, in 1914, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, they built the foundation of the big church, mm-hmm. which was known as the basement church, and that became and that in 1926 to 28 they built the big church on right. top of it. Right. But in these days, in 1909, it was still that school church combination. Mm-hmm. But Saint Florian would become. One of the two key anchors in the history of the history of ha- uh, city of Hamtramck and Dodge Main, of course, was the other one. But they were the two f- really most important social and economic forces in Hamtramck at that period, and uh, f- provided a lot, as we'll see as we go into the further chapters, when we when they played a much much bigger role in the history of Hamtramck. Right. So. Uh, so, you know, the, the village was growing. Some other industries were starting to eye the area as well, too, because of those railroad tracks. And uh, they started opening up in here. And so it was starting to develop as a real community. More houses were coming in. Not a lot at first, but uh, they were starting to move in this direction. The growth rate was starting. In 1910, of course, the whole world changed for right. Hamtramck yeah. because in June of 1910, John and Horace Dodge came to Hamtramck. And the Dodge brothers, of course, were uh, built parts for Henry Ford. And they had a, uh, a factory in downtown Detroit, which was over – the building is still there. It's right around the corner from the Greek Town Casino, and mm-hmm. it's still there. But that space there was much too limited for them, and they were growing rapidly too. And they had bigger ideas as well, too. And so they came to Hamtramck because Hamtramck was a village outside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. So the tra- tax structure was different. The taxes were lower. There was a lot of room to grow. Right. A lot of empty space. Yeah, and, a lot of farmland. <laughs> and then, of course, there's those railroad lines. Right. And now Henry Ford had just opened up his factory over in Highland Park, about a mile, mile and a half north of Hamtramck. Mm-hmm. So this was ideal. They could build, you know, if they build the factory in Hamtramck, they could throw it right on a railroad track and ship it up to the Ford, uh, Ford plant in 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. Well, for them, it, it seems like it made sense. It made absolute sense. Yeah. And, and if you do a Google satellite map of the Ford plant, what remains of it up in Highland Park, you can see the railroad spurs mm-hmm. to this day that still go into that Ford plant. Mm-hmm. And they connected right down here. So June 1910, the Dodge brothers buy some land. They immediately start building buildings. And by November of 1910, 
they're producing hearts, well, parts for Henry Ford. Now, a lot of people get, they get this confused. They started by building parts, not by building cars, mm-hmm. but by building parts and shipping them to Henry Ford. Right. They actually had a pretty good working relation with Ford. He liked them. Uh, and he, they pretty much liked him at the beginning, at least, because, well, Ford, if for all of his faults, and he had many, uh, he really would recognize people of quality who mm. produce quality work and right. he was not hesitant to work with them to you know use use them to the best that he could in his business mm-hmm. and uh, he worked out a good arrangement with them and they right. became very wealthy very quickly and this is pretty good for yeah. two guys who really started out making bicycles yeah well and um the the way that they from what i remember reading anyway was that they um basically paid for the factory with money that they made from Ford, Ford not yes. stuff that they made off of you know, their parts, but they were actually investors yeah. in the company. So I think from, from what they were saying in the book I read that mm-hmm. uh, Henry Ford was upset because he they basically used, almost made yeah. his money to build the factory in Hamtramck. So to compete against yeah, them. Yeah, to yes. compete against yeah. them. Yeah. So uh yeah, it's it's interesting. They're they're they were very interesting, mm-hmm. very interesting guys. Truly. I mean yeah, I mean they of course they had a big folly out as time went by. And, yeah, and yeah. eventually Henry Ford bought them out for it was something like eighteen million dollars cash. Right. Back in nineteen about nineteen eighteen. Yeah. And you can imagine the amount of money that would represent. Oh yeah. Incredible. So, but anyways, they came to Hamtramck, they started building their factory, and they put out a call for workers. And that call, of course, was answered in an incredible way. Thousands of people started flooding into Hamtramck, mainly Polish immigrants, who came here uh, to get the job in Henry Ford's, I mean, I'm sorry, in the Dodge Brothers factory. And by this time, uh, about 22 other factories were operating in Hamtramck. Now, the village of Hamtramck was almost the same size as the what would become the city, and that's 2.1 square miles. Actually, 2.094 if you want to get technical. And you got <laughs> yeah, we see, should get technical. We should, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Dodge Brothers did. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> so... so uh, you know, that's a small area. And we were, by, we were getting close to being completely surrounded by the city of Detroit as well. Us in Highland Park, of course. Highland yeah. Park abuts us. And they're in a pretty much the same size as we were at that point. And they were, underwent a phenomenal growth as well um, with uh, all these people starting flooding in here. And this led, of course, to a great transformation of the village of Hamtramck. That's going to, we'll take up that as we go into the next segment more. Uh, but uh, we could already see the, uh, what was happening by 1910 in this period. And the village people, <laughs> not those village people, <laughs> <laughs> they really didn't have a real concept yet of what was going to happen. Nobody could. Nobody yeah. could imagine what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, with the great growth that was coming. This was still that quiet little uh, village, right. that, you know, little farming village. Yeah. And it was uh, at that point still largely under the control 
of the Germans, mm -hmm. uh, the German immigrants who had originally immigrated here. Yeah. And the center of power at the time and for years, still some years to come, were the German saloons. Mm -hmm. Most of the business, actually, from what we can determine, you know, officially they did their meetings at the uh, city council chambers, but a lot of the, the real power and the real things that were done were done in the saloons. Right. Which was also set a pattern that we are going to see more of in the future as well, which, too. Which still, I think, is something that happens till this day. Yeah, I think. <laughs> you know, mostly, mostly. Well, much maybe not as much as now as it did yeah. then, because that pretty much then. Uh, but saloons, and we'll get to that as well. But they played a major role in Hamtramck's history. Mm -hmm. The bar scene wasn't just the bar scene, like you would find in more towns. It was a center of power, and it was a breeding ground for a lot of politicians, including mayors of Hamtramck. Yeah. A number of them actually got that because of their association with bars. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they always were traditionally a, an important part of the community, mm -hmm. not just as a night spot or a fun place. So. Right. So uh, we had Munchinger Saloon was the key one. And Munchinger, uh, that saloon was located over where the viaduct is today mm -hmm. on Joseph Campo, right around there. Uh, it would have been right, like right next to it. And that was the real uh, center of power for many years. And uh, Munchinger and the German constituents, or uh, the uh, politicians really ran things from that area there. Yeah. Um, more development was occurring as a, as the village be matured and grew and uh, became more sophisticated. And uh, it's this also was um, a transitional period starting the fringes of it. And it was this is it's kind of hard to express, but they were not sure of what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. They obviously couldn't expect what was going to happen, and they didn't have any kind of procedures in place really for dealing with what was going to happen. And that became a really critical factor in the formation of Hamtramck, especially in the next decade and the next two decades. Mm -hmm. Though that was the time, you know, the... Um, that was the time when incredible changes were occurring and the, was totally overwhelming the village mm -hmm. and what they were trying to do. Right. Now, do we know when uh, when the first Poles started coming over? We don't. We, I mean, you can trace the Polish history, of course, you know, to the 1850s and things like that, but right. not to Hamtramck, but to Detroit. Right, right. But we don't really know exactly when... They started settling in Hamtramck itself, you know, where we are. Uh, but, you know, there you'll see occasional Polish names mentioned back then. Right. But the majority of them at that time, and we're talking the 1900-1910 period, the majority at that time were still the German names, the ones who are still in charge there. Right. And I think we, we had mentioned in a, a previous podcast about uh, looking at uh, school board minutes right. from, or well, township school board minutes from uh, 1898, and I think also they were they were all the way up through like 1912 or so. Right. And if you look, I mean, as as we had, you you really saw pretty much just German names. I don't even think I saw one Polish name, even mm -hmm. even going through 1910. You know, right. it's like uh, this pretty much was a German 
a German enclave, was, you know, yeah. um, which is it's it's interesting, you know, and you could still see little remnants of, you know, the mm. it's, I guess, German history, German past, you know, right. it's, you know, street names and, and not necessarily businesses, but more more along the lines of like street names, stuff like that. Jacob yes. and uh, Geimer, Geimer, you know, right, just. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I think a lot of the streets are actually still fairly, fairly uh, German. <laughs> truly, yeah. uh, one day we're going to do a program on the history of Hamtramck street names as mm-hmm. well, too, because oh. that's really a fascinating yeah. in its own right. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, the, what we're doing here is we're kind of setting the stage of what's to come, mm-hmm. and the pieces are starting to fall into place, and it's got a lot of drama to it, mm-hmm. but because again, you have that anticipation that something is changing but you don't really know exactly what and you don't know to what degree it's going to change right and nobody like i keep stressing that point that nobody really could imagine what was going to happen in terms of the the growth of the community yeah and the 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 phenomenal thing you know we have photos of hamtramck from 1920 and you can see just you know, rows of smokestacks in the factories. And to think that just, you know, a decade earlier, that a lot of that was farms. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. And um, kind of the way that I view it anyway is uh, really without the Dodge Brothers, Hamtramck would either be a part of Detroit or would still, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be a farming community because we're in the middle of the city. But, right. you know, um Without, I think without the Dodge Brothers, Hamtramck still there would, would, no would there would be no Hamtramck. And they, we, we would have been absorbed yeah. by Detroit. There would have been no movement to form uh, Hamtramck into a city, which occurred later. So um, this is really um, an amazing. We're standing on the precipice right yeah. now, yeah. and we're looking ahead to it, and that's what we're going to address. In our next segment. Yep. And keep an eye on those Dodge Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be back as we continue this series. It'll run several more parts. And for now, though, I just want to thank, thank all of you for tuning in. And don't forget to visit the Hamtramck Historical Museum. We're at 9525 Joseph Campo, right here uh, in the heart of Hamtramck. Yep. And you can learn more about us, the museum, our podcast, by going to uh, our website, uh, org, or you can follow us on Facebook and, and Instagram uh, and, Instagram. and Instagram. social media, you yep. know. <laughs> and, of course, we want to thank Podcast Detroit, who really are responsible for making this, uh, allowing this program to happen. Yep. And we really appreciate all the help they've given us in establishing this. So yep. um, stay tuned. Yep. 